We have had the privilege to sing, to pray, and now the privilege to open up our Bibles. So if you would, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And when you find that, please stand with me. We're going to read God's Word. We'll just read three verses today. As we've been continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount, we're reading the words of Jesus. We're studying the very words of Christ. Jesus today is talking about treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, starting at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray together. Lord God, we just thank you that we can be here today, Lord, and we just want to acknowledge how good you are. We thank you, Lord, that we can be here together. Thank you, Lord, uh, for your presence with us. But Lord, I just want to acknowledge, um, and as we all know, we live in a society that forgets you and that ignores you and that even rejects you openly. And what most of us have experienced this past week, a lot of it has been anti-God. And so, Lord, because of that, we need your touch today. So please, God, we pray that you would transform us, that you would change us, that you would rearrange our priorities, that you would recenter us, that you would refocus us upon yourself. Because, Lord, we are in desperate need of you. Uh, we, we trust in your sovereignty, we trust that you are always good, and we thank you, Lord, and we pray in this time now that you would once again open our eyes, that, that we would see wonderful things in your word, and we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. It's a common common cry of my heart that I am weak, Lord, and you are strong. Um, as much as we really hate to admit it, uh, most Christians are either slightly soiled or majorly polluted by their contact with the world. Uh, we sense it, we know it, we feel it. It's the uneasiness of being a part of a, of a God-ignoring God-forsaking, God-denying culture. Uh, we often feel like traitors. While God is pouring out His love and His mercy and His grace upon us lavishly, uh, we, we are adopting the views and the attitudes and the lifestyles of a world gone wild with, with godlessness. And... Uh, Basically, we're all messed up in some way because of our contact with the world. Whether we or it did the pursuing. Uh, and then to the degree that we assimilate and adopt its value system and worldview, we are either going to resist the truth and the help that God offers in getting us cleaned up, or we're going to try and tack on some God stuff. You know, just tack on some God stuff and... Look the part of someone who is, is seeking after God. Look the part of a, of a growing Christian. Or, we will cry out to be delivered. 
We will cry out to be delivered. We will cry out to our Papa, to God, uh, just like a child would cry out to its father. Uh, God, God loves when we, when we cry out to him. God knows our situation. He doesn't condemn us. God knows and understands and does not condemn us. But he wants us to want him. He wants us to be swayed by the truth of his eternal word and not the world's temporary lives. See, he loves it when we agree with David in Psalm 51 and verse 10 when he prayed, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. God loves it when when we agree with Paul who said in Romans 7 and verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? He loves it when when we agree with John in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. For anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. You know, basically, we live in a pretty insecure world. The things in which we trust so often are not stable. We live in an insecure world, and we must find our security in the all-sufficient Jesus Christ. We must find our sufficiency in him. Now, in the first part of, uh, of Matthew chapter 6, what Jesus did, verses 1 through 18, he described a Christian's private life, the inward life. But in the second half of Matthew 6, he describes our public life, verses 19 through 34, and how we deal with things like money and possessions and food and clothing and our ambitions. That God is equally concerned with our private and our public life. Not because they are disconnected, but because they are interconnected. Each one affects the other. We see it in the Sermon on the Mount. Our Heavenly Father sees in secret, Matthew 6, verse 4, 6, and 18, but He also knows what we need before we ask Him. Chapter 6 and verse 32. Now with regard to giving and praying and fasting, Jesus has a lot to say. He says that His followers are not to turn it into an opportunity to be to be applauded, uh, uh, they're not to turn things designed to worship God and to serve Him into an opportunity to draw attention to themselves. And now what Jesus is doing is He's going to concentrate on the pursuit of wealth. The pursuit of wealth. Now you may say at this point, well, I'm off the hook with Jesus on this one. I don't have any wealth left. It's all gone. Verses 19 through 24 in chapter 6, he talks about the pursuit of wealth. And then what he does, he moves to the the, uh, connection between worry and wealth in verses 25 through 34. And Jesus is highlighting basically two contrasts, several contrasts, in the context of the pursuit of wealth. He's talking about two treasures, which we will look at today. Treasures on earth, treasures in heaven. What else is he talking about? He's talking about two kinds of eyes, good and bad, 
light and dark. He's talking about two kinds of masters, God or money. He's talking about two fixations. Uh, One fixation on physical needs related to our body. Another fixation on spiritual things related to the kingdom of God. We can't stay neutral. We've got to choose. The Christian life is full of a lot of choices. A lot of daily choices that we need to make. And the cool thing is Jesus helps us choose well. Jesus helps us choose well. First thing Jesus does in this passage, verse 19, is he speaks of treasuring treasure. Treasuring treasure. He says in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't do it selfishly. Don't do it for yourself. Don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth. What are those? Those are material things that can be destroyed or stolen. Now, Jesus is using a negative with an imperative, implying that he is trying to stop something already in progress. He is apprehending a crime being committed right now. He says, stop laying up treasures for yourself on earth. He knew the fallen nature of man. He knew the fallen nature of man would cause man to see all the bright and shiny things in the world and grab as much of it as he could in his arms as he went through life. There's a lot of choices to be made in life, and Jesus knew the kind of choices we would make. But he wants, he expects, and the good part is he enables, enables us to make the right decisions, to make wise decisions. So, Jesus wants his followers to be different. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, over and over again, it's be countercultural, counter the culture, be different. He, he knew our fallen nature. He knew we'd try to get as much material security as we could. But again, he is wanting, expecting, and enabling us to be different. To choose between, between things that lead to reward now and those that store up future reward in heaven. We are not to put our hope in things that perish. We are not to put temporary rewards in front. We are not to, uh, to cling to the security that the world offers. Jesus uses a play on words here. I love it. He says, laying up treasure. In the Greek, it is literally thesaurizo thesaurus. Yes, thesaurus, where we get our word th- thesaurus. It's a treasury of words. What does it mean? It's picturing Putting things in a treasury. Literally, putting treasure in a treasure chest. He says, stop treasuring things that won't last. Stop treasuring the things that perish. So, does this mean you can't have a bank account? Does this mean you can't have a retirement account? Does this mean you can't buy life insurance? There was a life insurance agent in here first hour. He was listening. He was listening. I think, in fact, by what I said, I think he'll get a few more clients today. So does it mean that you can't save anything or plan for anything or put anything away for the future? That's not what Jesus is saying. Laying up treasure on earth means, by the way, rather than making sensible provision for the future, what it means is you are making excessive provision for the present. Laying up treasure on earth is when you excessively hoard for right now. It's being covetous. It's hoarding for yourself while others go hungry or needy. The ant, by the way, was praised 
in Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8, for planning ahead. That's a good thing. But we are to avoid the extravagance. We are to avoid the the luxuriousness that ignores the world's poor. Thinking wrongly that a person's life consists of what they own. You may have heard about the man who wanted to build bigger barns. Go with me to Luke chapter 12. Jesus told a parable about a man who wanted to build bigger barns because he had so much. By the way, he's called the rich fool, so you know this is not a good example. You don't want to be a fool. And basically, here's what happened. Jesus is talking, and the crowd, someone in the crowd says, Teacher, tell my brother to share the family inheritance with me. And Jesus says, who made me the judge or arbiter over you? And he said this. He said, take care, because he knew the man's heart and knew that he was coveting. And he says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Luke 12, verse 16. He told them a story. He told them a parable. And he told them about a man. He told them about a man who owned a lot of land. And the land produced abundantly the man said to himself first problem he's talking to himself uh, what shall I do I have nowhere to store my crops so instead of giving it away to the poor or giving it to people who maybe had no crops oh no he said I know what I'll do I'll build bigger barns I'll build bigger ones so that I can put all my stuff in it and then I will say to my soul Second problem. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you prepared, whose will they be? And then Jesus said, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. Can you hear the Sermon on the Mount? And is not rich toward God. So is the one who is not rich towards God. You see, Jesus is not condemning wealth. Jesus is not condemning owning things. If the rich fool, by the way, had been rich with God, he wouldn't have been a fool, and he would have kept his earthly stuff in proper perspective. As it is, he did not. We all... We all know of people who've ruined their lives by the pursuit of wealth when they put too much emphasis on it. See, Jesus is not condemning wealth. He is not condemning owning things. He is warning his followers against hoarding and trusting in material things. He does not want us preoccupied. He was not forbidding normal and wise management of resources. You think of the people that you know that have put their pursuit of wealth above their family or above other important things. In the Bible, you see examples. Achan, he caused Israel to be defeated at Ai and died with his family because he coveted and took things God said not to take from Jericho. Solomon, he let the love of money ruin his spiritual life. Ananias and Sapphira, lied about money, pretending to have sold a piece of property and given the entire amount to the church, but they kept back some for themselves. They could have 
kept half for themselves and said, here's half. But they lied about how much they had given. See, money itself is not the problem. Money's not the problem. It's what we do with money that's the problem. By the way, when Jesus said that a person's life does not consist in the things he, was, he possessed, he was confronting a common belief in those days that material prosperity was a sign that you were right with God. That, that material prosperity was a sign that all was right between you and God, that God was pleased with you, and he was giving you things to reward you. They tied their possessions to their spiritual life. They connected that to their spiritual life. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. We know of conflicts that have happened in families and among nations because of money. Paul said that many, by longing for money, have fallen away from the faith and have brought upon themselves many problems. They have pierced themselves with many a pang. There are biblical examples, though, of very rich people who loved God and worshipped him, not their money. Abraham was a rich man. Joseph was a rich man. David was a rich man. The question is not how much we have question is how much we think of it and whether or not it or God and his glory is our greatest desire it's whether or not God and his glory or the glory of our possessions is what we love most and Jesus is is contrasting treasures on earth that bind us to earth with treasures in heaven treasures in heaven what are treasures in heaven well Jesus doesn't tell us here. <laughs> Jesus doesn't answer that question for us. But it is not a hard thing to figure out. Basically, it's this. It's treasuring stuff that lasts forever. Treasuring stuff that lasts forever. As John Stott said, it's doing anything on earth whose effects last for eternity. Doing anything on earth that, whose effects last for eternity. Earthly activities with, with eternal consequences. Like what? Well, like, like, like developing Christ-like character. Like growing in faith, hope, and love. Like growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3.18. Like, like what Nancy did, and many of you do on a daily basis, a weekly basis. Uh, introducing others to Jesus. Praying for them. Building a relationship with them. Presenting the gospel message in a clear way to them. What else is it? It's also using money for things that build God's kingdom. By the way, that is the only true monetary investment with everlasting dividends. But there's always a warning, right? Someone may say to you, give, give to this cause because it's building God's kingdom. Just because someone says it's building God's kingdom doesn't mean it is. Be careful of labels. But giving money to build God's kingdom when it truly builds God's kingdom is something that has eternal dividends, everlasting dividends. You see, basically there are two ways to live. You can live for yourself or you can live for God. And there are two ways to respond to that realization. You keep living for the temporary or you start seeking the eternal. One or the other. The temporary is insecure. The temporary deteriorates. 
things fall apart. Things get lost. Things get stolen. That's why Jesus is speaking of, of moths and rust and, and thieves here in Matthew chapter 6. He's talking about treasuring heavenly things versus earthly goods. And Jesus is addressing a common problem but back then and now. That of being overcome by greed. That of loving money more than God. That of being entangled in the world. Martin Luther said this, that whenever the gospel is taught and people seek to live according to it, there are two terrible plagues that arise. False teachers to corrupt the teaching and then Sir Greed, who obstructs right living. Jesus is trying to correct the obstruction of right living. The second thing that Jesus is emphasizing here is finding security, of finding refuge. It's the idea of where do we run for safety? Where do we run for cover? It's idea in, 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 in finding our well-being in eternal versus temporary things. He focuses, by the way, on three main sources of wealth in Palestine in those days. Clothes, crops, and precious metals. Gold and, and silver. Nothing was safe back then. But is anything really safe, truly safe today? Sure, we have our security systems. We have safes and other things. But is anything really safe that perishes here on earth? Verse 19, he says, um, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths destroy. What do moths do? Moths float in. They look weak. But they float in. They infiltrate and they destroy. They consume. Back then, a person's wealth was often in fine and elaborate clothing. Gehazi, Elisha's servant, 2 Kings chapter 5, was greedy. He tried to profit off of Naaman, whom his master had cured, after his master had cured him. So he asked him for a talent of silver and two expensive changes of clothes. That was the wealth in those days. Achan was tempted to sin by coveting a beautiful cloak of Shinar when he confessed his sin in, in Joshua 7.21. That's what he said. I once had a gray flannel suit. I kept it in a closet that was cedar-lined. You think that would have helped? I went one day to put on my gray flannel suit and it was like Swiss cheese. Our home in the last few months or so has gotten overtaken by moths that have come in through cereal boxes. Jesus says moths destroy, but rust also destroys. Rust. It eats away, it deteriorates. It never sleeps. The word for rust is brosis. It literally means to eat away, but it doesn't mean rusting metal like we would first picture right off the bat. It refers more to, to grain being eaten by varmints, vermin, other furry, you know, creatures. Back then, a person's wealth often consisted of crops and grain they would store in huge barns. So things like worms, you can close your ears if you want, if you get freaked out on this, but worms and rats and mice would go in and eat the grain and spoil the stored food. Back when Alexandra, who's now 17, when she was just a baby, 
1992. We were living in, in our first place in Irvine, and it was a little condo we were renting, and uh, we saw a little furry mouse in the house. So Angela said, um, I'll be at my mom and dad's in Whittier. And when you get the mouse, you call me up and I'll come right back home. You see, it was our first little baby. See, if it was Sophie, our fifth, it'd be like, oh, have fun playing with that little mouse, Sophie. You know, oh no. <laughs> but not with uh, Alexandra, oh no. So I went to the store, bought the little cardboard sticky thing, put it in its proper place, came home from the church one day, and lo and behold, there's Fival. Stuck to, the, uh, stuck to the box. I could not bring myself to kill poor little creature. So here's what I did. I, I got a Tupperware container, put him inside, closed the lid, and threw him in the dumpster behind bonds. <laughs> a slow, painful death. Things rust, varmints get in and mess things up, moths, but thieves, thieves, thieves also break in and steal, thieves named Steve sometimes, <laughs> they break in and steal. In the Holy Land, in the Holy Land, houses were often made of baked clay, so thieves would dig through the wall and steal the gold that was stored there, hidden somewhere in the home. What do thieves do? Thieves violate. Thieves take away what belongs to someone else. My first car was a 1973 Firebird. And one day I came outside of my house when I was in college. I was going to school or work, and, and, and it was not there anymore. Someone had stolen it. Amazing thing is, they found it four days later in, in El Monte, by the side of the road. Uh, perfectly fine. Someone had just taken a, a joyride, joy so I got it back. But over the years, even as a pastor, I've had an expensive guitar stolen at a church. I've had, at two churches, large sums of money get, get stolen out of my office after a big event the night before. Crowbarred the church open to get it. Thieves carried away things that belonged to someone else. You see, the things of this world, Jesus is saying, and we know it, are insecure. They're not permanent. Only what lasts forever is permanent. Only what lasts forever is secure. But what happens is the pursuit of wealth, it clouds the vision for the eternal, which is secure and protected and durable and imperishable. See, the eternal things last forever, longer, by the way, than any limited lifetime warranty. What's all that about, by the way? Limited lifetime warranty? You see, we like to say, you know, they, they sure don't make them like they used to. See, you could carry your whatever that lasted for so long that it was made so much better than they make them now. You can carry it all the way to the grave, and then you go, you go and it stays. <laughs> okay, you're not taking it with you. However durable it is here on earth, it's going to burn. See, Jesus is warning against putting our hope in things that fade away, that wear out, that erode, that are stolen. See, we like to say, hey, they sure don't make them like they used to, but nobody makes them like God makes them. Eternal things. Eternal things that last forever. Nothing, by the way, that's on earth that perishes is really secure. 
I mean, we try to keep things safe here on earth. We set mousetraps. We put locks on our doors. We set burglar alarms. We use rust-proof paint. But even those things don't help. Our things just deteriorate through inflation or depression or devaluation or, or a financial downturn like we've been experiencing. And even if we safely can bring it through this life, we can't take it to the next. Job rightly said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. I want to find my significance and my sufficiency in the all-sufficient Jesus Christ. But I am far too easily uh, weighed down, wrapped up in other things here below heaven. So what makes the difference? What's the difference maker? You see it in verse 21. See, Jesus has said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, perishable, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then he says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's where your heart is. It's the issue for Jesus, the person's heart, and whether it is set on earth or heaven. Whatever someone values, whatever someone goes after, will dictate the heart's action. So Jesus saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. By the way, the heart refers consistently in Scripture to the very center of your being, your emotions, your reason, your will question is where's your heart what consumes your thoughts what do you really want taking you back to Luke 12 in that same context Jesus uses that as a springboard to talk to his disciples about not being anxious about life and your body and your eating and your clothes And it's a parallel to the Sermon on the Mount. But he says, in verse 30, Luke 12, 30, all the nations of the world seek after these things. All the things that are physical, that are material, that are perishable. And then he says this, your father knows that you need them. And then he said, instead, seek his kingdom And these things will be added to you. And then he says, fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then he says, sell your possessions. And give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, he says, there will your heart be also. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. He says, make for yourselves money bags that don't wear out. The money bag in those days was the place you put your treasure. And he's saying, put your treasure in a heavenly storehouse of treasure that is safe. Where no moth and rust and thieves will be. By the way, why would Jesus want us free from self-centered pursuits, such as the accumulation of of wealth for ourselves? 
why would he want that not to be present in our life? There's a good reason. It's so that we could more freely and that we could more fully worship and serve him. We were built to worship him. He inhabits the praises of his people. We were built to serve him and to find our joy in him, not in things. See, the difference between treasures on earth and treasures in heaven is really the difference between enjoying something good and finding your joy in something. Enjoying something good is, is, is good. Finding your joy in something that perishes is not. See, we're to find foundational joy in God alone. We can find residual joy in all his good gifts. We are not to find our foundational joy, but our residual joy in God's good gifts. It's a byproduct of his, of his goodness. He has given us all good things to enjoy. Go with me to 1 Timothy 6. You know, he has given us all good things to enjoy. But not to obsess in and not to worship. Not to worship as idols, as John said in 1 John 5, 21. Little children, guard yourself from idols. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, and by the way, if you're discounting this and saying, well, I'm not rich, because you're looking around and seeing someone who you, who you say is rich, every single person in this room is wealthy. We in America, even the poorest among us, are far wealthier than a large percentage of the rest of the world. We are wealthy. So as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I was just told of a situation today where a missionary was in dire need and no food could get in and no money was showing up. And they called someone that they knew. They emailed someone that they knew that goes to this church and they told him this story. And this person passed it on to someone else. And this person got, just got a, a text or an e- email that says uh, to send $10,000 for food to this missionary. Praise God. Because someone in Christ's church who he had richly provided with things to enjoy uh, were, was rich in good works. Rich in good works. They were generous. They were ready to share. And what, was, what is the result? Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. That's treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven.
By the way, the Sermon on the Mount consistently talks about the heart. Issues of the heart. And Jesus says here that our heart follows after our treasure. Either down to earth or up to heaven. That's what Jesus says. Your heart follows your treasure. So where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where's your treasure? What's your treasure? Where is it? What's the focus of my life? What's the focus of your life? What's the focus of our common life? Where's our treasure? What's our treasure? Is it obtaining some bright and shiny thing here on earth? Is it stockpiling silver and gold? Is it developing a self-generated autonomy or infamy? Is it possessing other people's possessions? What is the treasure you seek? Is it the, the siren call of recognition? Is it the blindness of ambition? Is it the friendless waste of, of seeking popularity? Is it the fool's gold of prosperity? None of it satisfies. None of it satisfies. Only Jesus satisfies. The answer, by the way, to what is your treasure will reveal the true condition of your heart and its location. The one who knows your heart better than you do, he knows. And by the way, if we lie and say, God is my treasure, and he's not, it only gets worse. You will be miserable until you admit your condition and your need and fall at the feet of Jesus and say, holy, 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 are you Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. Not until you fully appreciate the depth to which the king went to rescue your soul from eternal damnation will you be able to recognize and acknowledge his right to rule over you and then you assent to it and welcome it And when that happens, then you are seeking treasures in heaven. But still, what do we do? We keep running to things that glitter and are shiny as if they could satisfy. But the location of the treasure reveals the location of the heart. Basically, the Spirit's uh, uh, motive-knowing GPS knows your exact location right now, honed in on your position, and, and your heart... When it was once freed from from sin's power through faith in Christ, when you submit your heart once again to to an evil master, let's say materialism, then you become unfit for the battle that is spiritual that wages daily. Because what happens is, what we focus on shapes our character. What we focus on shapes our character. What we run to will fit us into its mold. That's why God said, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So where we go to find security shapes our character. So hoarding for self versus helping others survive, it shows a fundamental flaw in character. Reveals a lack of depth. It reveals a lack of of compassion. It reveals a, a, a lack of understanding of how life really works best. Displays a lack of trust in the sovereignty of God. Displays a lack of trust in God to provide everything we need. It shows that we give more credence to man's abilities than God's sovereignty and God's sufficiency. But how do we usually learn our lessons? How do we usually learn our lessons? The hard way, right? The hard way. Things get taken away. Thieves steal. Stuff wears out. Things lose value. And how will you know if you're more preoccupied with material things than God? How will you know? Let something happen. 
Let something happen. Let something be taken away. Let the tides turn. True character shows. Focusing on money binds us to earth and blinds us to the needs of others. And we won't reach out to others if we're hoarding things for ourselves. So what have you got to share with someone who might be in need? By the way, I got a garage full of stuff. And we often find ourselves stained, soiled, dirty, and needing a bath spiritually. But praise God, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses. Praise God. Constant dwelling on the things of the world makes you worldly. Constant dwelling on the things of God makes you godly. What did Jesus say when tempted by the devil to turn stones into bread to satisfy his hunger after 40 days of fasting? He said, man shall not live by bread alone. You need it, but it's not the only thing you need. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds, comes out from the mouth of God. See, Jesus' sayings in the Sermon on the Mount, those are heavenly treasures. Well, let me close with this idea. What do we usually do in our spare time? Dreaming. In our spare time, we usually dream of getting things, not giving things away. See, we ask our friends, what would you do if money was no object? What would you do if you, if you won a million bucks? We never ask, what would you do if you ran out of money? Or went broke? Or your salary was cut in half? Or you lost your job? See, we are consumers trained to consume, programmed to possess. And this world treasures temporary pleasure and immediate gratification more than important things like character and morals and ethics and eternal things. See, Jesus wants you and I to have a vision for something more, something deeper something better. What if we were focused systematically on giving our stuff away? That we live the grace-filled life of simplicity. I've known several couples who in their twilight years have systematically given their stuff away. But what if when we're not in our twilight years, we decided to systematically give our stuff away? Instead of the world's preoccupation with possessions, Christians are to be known for generosity. What if words like my and mine were eliminated from our vocabulary? What if our natural bent towards possessiveness became a supernatural letting go of rights and possessions? What if we loosened our grip rather than tightening our fists? What if God were our treasure? A.W. Tozier wrote this in The Pursuit of God. The man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. Many ordinary treasures may be denied him, or if he is allowed to have them, the enjoyment of them will be so tempered they will never be necessary to his happiness. Or if he must see them go, one after one, he will scarcely feel a sense of loss, for having the source of all things he has in one all satisfaction, all pleasure, all delight. And whatever he may lose, 
He has actually lost nothing. For now he has it all in one. And he has it purely, legitimately, and forever. Let's pray. Lord God, we we know that there are two kinds of treasure that we can seek and that they are competing, that they are not complementary. And Lord, we know that at times they may look similar, but they are totally opposed. One leads to getting and consuming. The other leads to getting, giving and sharing. One finds its security in insecure things and the other in what lasts forever. And we pray, Lord, I pray today that you would help us choose the better and harder of those two treasures because we know we need to find our security in the all-sufficient Jesus Christ.